good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, which is the uh, chapter that David read out of this morning, which was a great uh, preparation leading up to the verses we're going to look at today and think about together today. Today we're going to continue on in our exploration of what it means uh, to truly and completely worship God. So there's the big word, worship, that we've been uh, grappling around with and thinking about and trying to learn about from a biblical perspective what is true and complete worship. And some of the things we've discovered, uh, number one, that worship is not just merely an external group or or a bunch of things or rituals that we do or even sacrifices that we make. It's more than external things. So, uh, Clayton, if you would put up that next slide, just a throwback to about a month ago, we said that there were these five dimensions that we could consider as we're thinking about complete, whole self, whole person, worship of God. And we started there with that big core, the executive control center, if you will, that is the heart or the spirit or the will, all right, so there in the center, we said there's the mind, uh, the intellect, that was uh, there at the top, struggle a little bit with what to put over in this little bubble on the right side, but just for sake of what we're going to talk about today, I put emotions there at the bottom, of course, so we're thinking about all of the human person, mind, emotions, the body, and then the social aspect of our lives. We know that we don't live in this world alone, that we interact with people, and that impacts our lives, and our lives impact people. And so there at the core, we've got the heart or the spirit. So next slide, please. True or all of life worship. All right, so how do we go about that? We saw that, first of all, that it begins in the heart or the spirit. Again, that is the executive control center of the person, if you will, and that that part of us, first and foremost, has to be given over to God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 3, where Jesus taught a religious leader, a, a, really an Old Testament scholar, if you will, a person who was trying to lead others to God. Jesus told this guy, Nicodemus, he says, you and everybody must be born again. Be born of the Spirit of God in your heart. Born of the water and the Spirit. And so that is the starting point. We said that's the essential experience. The first of all, that is the gateway that we must come through according to Jesus in order to begin to worship. We must be born again of the water and the Spirit. We talked about how that indicated a, a brand new start to life. The water as a cleansing of the past. <clears throat> For us to move into the future, something has to happen with our sinful past. So there is the being born of the water, the cleansing that comes, the forgiveness, but also born of the Spirit. And in that, Jesus teaches us that the, when we're saved, when we come to Christ for our healing, to come to God, to be reconciled and made right, that something Miraculous happens. A transaction so quickly is made. When as a sinner I came, took of the offer of grace he did proffer. Praise him and bless his dear name. We're born again and the spirit of God comes to live in us. That's a miracle. That's something that we need to know about. So the spirit comes as a gift to empower, to give grace upon grace to us. And help to now live out the life of God that he intends for us. Next slide, please. And then, last week we looked at John chapter 4. So following up on that, Jesus meets at a well a Samaritan woman. And she has a past. And he encounters about that and digs into that a little bit. Helps her to see her need for this forgiveness and the need of God. But she asks about worship. Should we worship over there? You know, your, your, your guys say, you Jews say, you got to worship over here. And my people say, we got to worship over there. What about it? And he says, I'll tell you, the time has now come when true worshipers, real worshipers, worship the Father and Spirit and in truth. And we focused on the importance of the renewal of our mind, coming to see life and to see everything differently if we are to come to the Father. So 
be born of the Spirit. There's a connection with John chapter 3, but also worship in truth. So the renewal of our minds. We need to know what is the pattern of life that God intends for us if we're to give our life to Him and live it rightly before Him. All right, so next slide. So if we're just kind of making our way around the bubbles, we began with being born again of the Spirit in our heart, having our minds renewed, and actually that's a continual process. Hopefully we don't check our minds at the door as we live out our Christian life. We're continually learning new things about how God would have us to live. And then over here, the one that I've struggled with, emotions. And we're going to talk about that today. About giving even this part, this some would say the deepest part, the most private part of our lives to God in worship. Worshiping even with our emotions. And it's easy to dismiss or ignore our emotions. We're prone to do that. We treat our emotions like they're a sneeze or a case of the hiccups. We're not exactly sure why we have them or what they mean or where they come from. The hiccups are the weirdest thing in the world. But usually they go away pretty quickly and we're going to be all right. We treat our emotions that way. But I would say that they are not meaningless. They're not accidental. They're not just things that pop up out of nowhere and go away. But instead that they are created by God, given to us by God for a purpose and we need to discover that and then we need to learn how to give that important part of our lives namely our emotions this what you know in educational terms we talk about the affective domain it contains things like our loves and our desires some would say that really this is where our character lies this is our disposition you think about emotions how they affect our disposition how we interact with people, how we receive information. I'm just going to say to you, and get this, if you don't get anything else, our emotions are extremely important. And they have to be a part of our worship of God. They have to be a part of our discipleship. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to tell you, getting ready for this sermon, I've been studying this for several months, actually. I've been consumed by it for a couple of weeks and it's like some kind of Thanksgiving meal for me, man. I mean, there is so much laid out there. And the sad part is, like, we can't eat it all this morning. We can't eat from every dish that I've uncovered. It's been a fascinating study for me. And so what I'm trying to do is take from that buffet and just give you a plate full today, uh, plus a little dessert. And uh, this is very important. But I've had to really condense what is about 30 to 40 pages of notes into three pages, okay? So realize that I can't cover everything and we just want to uh, hit some high points. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. They're going to be our focal verses. And uh, I want to show you what we're going to do with those today. So let me read that, verses uh, 26 and 7 of Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. I decided to zero in on a short passage. And we're going to talk about anger today. But let it also represent the wider scope or spectrum of all of the emotions that we experience in this life. So I want to do justice to this particular set of verses, but also realize that they fall in the context of even what David read this morning, which is the idea that as Christians, we've got to take off the old self, the old patterns, the old way of living, and conscientiously, consciously put on a new way of living our lives. And this is one of about six things that Paul says about that. Put on the new self. And so he says, stop lying to one another, be angry and do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. And then he goes on and he gives several more, but let's just think about anger today as an important emotion, one that we do need to learn how to deal with, I need to learn how to deal with it better, but also let it be representative of that whole spectrum of emotions and bringing them under the rule of Christ as Christians. And so first of all, Let's do this. Let's begin by simply acknowledging the presence of emotions in our lives. Now, some of you guys are puffing your chest out and you go, I don't feel emotions. Yes, you do. 
I've looked at study after study. Men are just as aware of, at least at any given time, at least aware of one emotion that is at the forefront of their thoughts and minds and living at any given time, just like women. All right, so there is no difference. Women are not more emotional than men. All right, so we all experience emotions. And he says, be angry. That's what this says. Be angry. If we just stop there, when we blow up at our spouse or at someone, we can say, just doing what the Bible says. It says be angry. Rick, yeah, yes, read on, read before, read after. But in saying be angry, I think there is a confirmation, if you will, a recognition that we do experience emotions. And to say don't experience emotions is foolish. It cuts against what God has created us to experience. All right? Anger is normal in life, as are so many other emotions. Different categories, if you will, of emotions. You don't actually find the word emotion in the Bible, but you do find emotion all through the Bible. In fact, God is an emotional God. God feels many things. God is said in the Bible to feel delight, to feel love, to feel regret, to feel compassion in the book of Hosea, to feel jealousy, to feel sadness, to feel fierce anger. God feels in the person of Jesus overwhelming sorrow even unto death, deep distress and fullness of joy. And the list could go on and on to say that God is a feeling or emotional God. We tend to think of an emotional person as being someone who is given to big swings or, or, or they, they just overflow their emotions too much, but we're all emotional. God is emotional. So we need to start there and just recognize that emotions are with God and they come from God. God made our emotions for very clear purposes. Among them is to know pleasure. To know pleasure. God give it gives us emotions for a number of reasons. We won't talk about them all. But first of all, I would say from a positive standpoint, so that we could feel pleasure, to feel some of what he feels, to, to experience goodness in a very real and personal way. Could you ever, I mean, think about life without any emotions, especially the positive ones. No joy, no happiness. Not much of a life. In fact, that brings people... Many times when they don't feel anymore to a point of us saying life is not worth living at all, in fact. Worship, as God intends it, listen to this, is in large measure about us feeling pleasure or experiencing pleasure in God. In Ephesians, I think it's in chapter 1, maybe verse 11 or 12, it talks about we are saved, listen to this, for the praise of his glory. Now we often think about only about God in that equation. We think about that God wants to show us his glory. God is glorious. He's beautiful. He's beyond anything that we could really ever totally comprehend and imagine. But it actually says that worship and salvation that leads to worship is about, hey listen, praise. When you praise something authentically, that is an expression of delighting in that thing. I was watching the Arkansas Razorbacks play their game, and it, on the TV was just a spectrum of idiotic praise. <laughs> Meaning, I mean, you just look, I'm not saying it's not good to root for your team or whatever, but I mean, here's the guy in the front row that's got his shirt pulled off, and he keeps flexing, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? And, and you just go, man, people are feeling something at that game. They're praising. They're happy that their team is winning. They're excited. They're, pray, you know, they're feeling something, obviously. If you do what that guy was doing in a ball game, you're feeling it. <laughs> and worship, true worship, that actually delights in God, is actually enraptured by God, is to feel something wonderful and express itself through any number of ways that we praise. So God gives emotions, number one, to feel pleasure. Praise is part of that. It's, it's tied up with worship. The capacity to feel and to sense 
in our own person something outside of us. In fact, often we, we equate with emotions the word feeling. Have you ever thought about what that means to feel? To feel is to have a sensation of some kind to move us. It, it comes to our consciousness. Something is, is changing me. It's, it's moving me. We sense something. So feelings and then the emotions that are often tied with those things are intended to do something, to move us. Now, listen to this. Here's what feelings do. Feelings are me- and emotions, okay, I'm going to use those words a little interchangeably, that I'm not sure they're exactly the same thing. But I would just say the emotional side of our life that God has given us is meant to do something. It's meant to incline us towards something or to push us away from something. Okay? To, to incline us towards something, to, to help us move into something, or to move away from it. Okay? That, that's what it's supposed to do. We have these feelings that, that, that we sense something, and it causes us to think about and to make a judgment about something, and then it either inclines or allures us, if you will, It beckons us in because we think that's something we need to get closer to, something we need to run towards because there's good in it, or, so there's allure and there's reviling to push us away. There's something in our, we sense in our soul, I will say, that says, no, you need to be away from this. This is not a good thing. It's not something for you. This may be harmful to you. And so we are reviled. So really, people will talk about their, you know, emotions are, are polar, There's two poles. There's the pushing towards, or drawing towards, or the pushing away. Now we need to begin to understand this. And I would say in our passage, be angry. That anger is actually when put in a right box and precipitated by right things is actually given from God. God experiences anger. And I think we experience anger when we sense something It's not good. Someone has done something somewhere to someone, maybe to us, that is not just. It is not the way things should be. And that anger is a response that we feel. It says, that shouldn't be. I'm moving away from that. I'm going to help others move away from that. So it is a reviling emotion. It pushes us away from the wrong things. God experiences anger over sinful things. Things that hurt. Things that destroy. And we need to acknowledge that. That even what we would call the negative emotions are actually in the right place and for the right reasons are positive emotions. They're helpful. But there are polar things that are pushing us towards or away from. But there's a whole other host or spectrum of emotions, isn't there? There's the happiness and joy. There is sorrow Desire, delight, pain, and on and on it goes. But first of all, we just say, yes. How many of y'all have experienced emotions? Has anybody here not? You know, I think that there are uh, strengths to our emotions. Some people seem to feel things at a greater level. But even people who don't tend to be very emotional, they're the stoic type, they still have, you still have emotions We all do. And I don't think I've had to spend 10 or 15 minutes on this. But I do think we need to talk about the importance of and recognize that emotions are just part of who we are. And we need to understand where they came from. Now, let's consider this, the great power of emotions. So emotions are there. There's a spectrum of them here. We're just talking about anger, but it's representative of the whole host of emotions that we feel and experience And we need to think about the power of emotions to direct and to alter our lives and other people's lives. There's great power. Anger is maybe one of the most powerful. Maybe not. But we know it's powerful. We think about crimes of passion. We think about what kinds of things people do, what we are prone to do. When we're angry, we realize anger can wreak havoc in our lives and in the lives of others and in society if it is not handled properly. Murder. Violence. Saying things we could never take back. So sometimes we deal with anger in a way that erupts. Hey, but listen. 
I, I, I tend to be one of those. I tend to, to express it outwardly. But we can also allow anger to influence us negatively without spewing it out. There are the spewers and then there, there are the simmer, simmerers, you know, the stuffers. The people who just kind of stuff it. They're mad, but they're not going to blow up. They never raise their voice. They never say ugly things, but yet it is there in their hearts. And I would say that oftentimes that could be as damaging to a relationship as blowing up. That we can alienate and push people out of our lives in anger, even though we never raise our voice or we never say an unkind thing. There is great power with anger, but also with every emotion. I'm going to say something. One of the things I've been asking myself is, where do emotions belong? You know, I've got my little snowman there, all the bubbles and the circles. And I'm just trying to think biblically, like, what, what is... What, what are emotions? What part of us do they belong to? Now, most people would say, well, it belongs in the heart. I actually don't think so. I actually think that emotions belong or are part of the human soul. We sang a song this morning. Heaven came down and glory filled what? Our soul. Where is your soul? Hey, someone pull out your soul out of your purse and show it to me this morning. Someone point in your body where you believe your soul belongs. Now, some people believe that the soul is synonymous with the spirit. I don't think so. I think that actually the best thing to do with that little circle up there where I had emotions is actually to label it the soul. The Bible says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's that middle circle. Love, love God with all of your heart. Love him with all of your what? Mind. That's that upper circle. Love him with all your what? Soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, that circle should say our souls. For all of you who are prone to say emotions, psh, 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 they don't matter. Emotions are the language. They are the cry they are the warnings of your soul. That's what they are. I truly believe that. And we need to understand that. We don't talk about the soul very much anymore. We've kind of relegated it to, you know, that's old language. It's just talking about our spirit. Let's talk about the spirit. I'm actually one that believes that the soul is a separate thing. And it is very important. Often, salvation is talked about the salvation of your souls. And so our souls need to be redeemed. We need to put off the old way of the soul. We need to put on the new. Emotions are part of the human soul. One by, I'm just going to give you uh, a couple of pieces of evidence to back this up. It doesn't mean it's totally right. I think it's right. I think I could prove it to you, but I can't go through it all today. One Bible encyclopedia entry says this, The soul is the seat or the center of our emotional faculties and thus our disposition or character and it's associated with our relationship to God and others. The human soul is the center where our emotions are found, where they come from. So to view our emotions as something fleeting and unimportant is wrong-headed. But to understand their importance in being bound up with the soul then begins to say, actually, I think the soul is very important. It is actually, the soul is actually the highest level of our life. In this way, the human soul is really who we are. And it integrates every other capacity or dimension or faculty of the human life. The soul intersects our spirit and our mind. God's spirit and mind. Our body and even has the capacity to impact another soul. So the soul is that integrating piece or aspect of our lives. I can't go into that too much. But I just want to get the point across to you that emotions actually are more than just fluttering little birds that fly away. Our emotions are actually things that we should pay close attention to and listen to because they're bound up 
in our soul. They're powerful factors. And here's what I think uh, emotions are meant to do. They are the language of the soul. They're the cry of the soul. It is our soul saying to us, something is wrong. Emotions come when something in one of the operating areas, one of the departments of our life, is out of whack. It could be we're thinking wrongly. It could be that we are not living out in actuality what we say that we believe. It could be a broken relationship. It could be actually our body is misfiring. There's an actual sickness of the body that impacts our emotions. We have to say that, don't we? Have you ever noticed that when you don't sleep, your emotions are different? Maybe if you haven't eaten, it impacts your emotions. And so our body is bound up, even with the soul. But we have this amazing thing called the human soul. I ask you to point to it wherever it's located. I actually think the best uh, illustration, if you will, in the human body of the human soul is our blood. Our blood. And, And one of the reasons I came up with this is I was looking in the book of Genesis and it says the soul is in the blood. Now, it's translated often the life of the person or the thing is in the blood. Actually, it says the nefesh, the soul, is in the blood. So I went to my, uh, uh, my wonderful um, scientific um, advisor, my wife, who's a science teacher. I said, real quick, I'm researching, hey, what does the blood do? Just remind me real quick. And she started clicking off all of these things. It's fascinating. So the blood goes and it takes oxygen to all areas of our body. It carries and delivers nutrients. It carries and delivers the kinds of cells that actually bring healing. It takes all the necessary things and it delivers them all around the body. And while it's there, the blood picks up the waste products of metabolism and different things. We think about uh, carbon dioxide and uh, how it takes it, the blood takes it. And then eventually it's expelled. And so you have this blood that's going around and taking the good stuff and carrying out the bad stuff. Our soul does that for all the different areas of our lives. It picks up on different things. It's reading what's going on. And it brings it around. Takes the good things and brings the bad things to light. That's what the soul does. And I would just say that I think emotions are the different things that our soul is picking up and saying, okay, this, this is not right. I'm going to try to fix this. I'm going to take this over here. I'm going to drop it off here. I'm going to bring what's right. And our soul is trying to integrate our lives and bring everything into alignment so that we're whole. That's what the soul is doing. The emotions are like... Hey, have you ever thought about how fascinating it is that you can go and get your blood drawn? Now, if I pass out from talking about blood, pick me up, Okay. Because I get a little, (laughs) have you ever thought about how fascinating, and when they pull my blood, I say, please don't ask me to look at that and talk about something else, okay? They're like, are you one of those? I said, I am absolutely one of those. And uh, some of y'all are one of those. Even as I'm talking about souls and emotions, you're getting a little bit queasy because I'm getting too deep into your life. We don't want to talk about this at church. It's fascinating that you could draw blood And that somebody somewhere in a lab can do all kinds of little things and pick up, oh, too many white blood cells. Oh, this is going on over here. It is fascinating how many sicknesses and illnesses and conditions we can pick up on just from examining the blood. Well, the soul does that. And our emotions are kind of like the lab uh, person who's sitting back there analyzing and go, whoop, I found this. I found that. And they call the doctor and they say, you need to alert this person. They need to come in and have further testing done. Something is wrong. And so our soul produces emotions to alert us that something in one of the areas of our life is out of joint or out of whack. Or to say, man, you are totally healthy. Woohoo! Live it up. So our soul does that for us. Emotions are more than feelings. They are signals. They are alarms that something is wrong or that all is right. We're moving in the right direction. And I'll tell you, we have to learn to deal with our emotions as Christians. 
primarily to let God show us and tell us, let Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the great physician, Jesus comes and he says, hey, here's what's going on with you. I picked up on this. You need to know about this and you need to do something about this. We need to hear and feel our emotions as alerts that we pay attention to. I had a family member, I won't tell you who it was, was driving their little car uh, down the road and, and all kinds of lights begin to flash. And one of them had actually said, stop the car. <laughs> and they stopped the car for a minute. And they called and they said, hey, this light says stop the car, what should I do? And the advice they got was keep driving. That car blew up and had to have a new motor. When we have alarms going off, that is a signal, hey, stop the car. Stop and take the time to see what is going on in your life that needs to be dealt with. Bring these things and bring yourself before the Lord. What should have happened was that car should have been brought before an expert mechanic who knew how to deal with those systems, who knew what that system was pointing to, then they could have fixed it. But instead, they kept driving and driving. And it's very possible that there's someone here today, many here today, you are driving with all sorts of lights going off, and you're ignoring them. You're not dealing with them. And you need to deal with them. Understanding that those are warnings of your soul telling you something needs to be done. All right? So Paul writes this. Be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry. Experience your emotions. But handle them in such a way that you don't sin or go on sinning. Paul's, again, overriding instruction is take off the old self and put on the new. That instruction is absolutely central to what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to realize that at one point you understand that you are going the wrong way. You are in sin. You are in danger You, your soul, are in danger. And you come before the Lord. And you come to the cross. And the cross is a symbol of death. And when you come to the Lord, repentance means that you lay off that old self in the way that has led you to death. And you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You join to Him by faith. And he gives you a brand new life and a new start. And he gives you his spirit. And it calls you to live a brand new life. You are born again. A brand new creature and creation. That is the Christian experience. And Jesus says this. You cannot be my disciple. Cannot be. Let that sink in for a minute. You cannot be my disciple if you are not willing to deny yourself. and Take up your cross. And follow me daily. Listen, self-denial means I no longer live the life I once lived. I put away the old patterns. I put off that old self that is corrupted. I'm taking that off. It leads to death. And Jesus says, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to. You've got to deny that old way. And put on a new way. Hey folks, we got to do it every day. Every day. We've got to learn to put off the old. And put on the new. Put off that which is lust. You know what lust is? Lust is a desire that has overridden every other thing. And it's out of control. We are obsessed with fulfilling that desire. That belongs to the old self. The new self that follows Christ desires to do the will of God. Thinks about something more than just ourselves and fulfilling what we think we need in this moment. The way of Christ is a way of love and self-giving that springs out of self-denial. Man, there's a lot here. (laughs) Now, let's move on. Let's consider the purpose of our emotions 
real quick. We've already talked about this just a little bit. Look at what he says now. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. All right? We usually take that to mean this. Hey, if you're mad at somebody, by the time you go to bed, quit being mad at them. How many of y'all, that, that's basically what? Like when you're mad at your spouse, try to make up before you go to bed. That's about all we get from that. And I think that one of the things, probably a deeper meaning is that when it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger is, you need to deal with this. It doesn't have to actually be today. In fact, there are some things in our emotional lives that we've let spin out of control so long that it may take quite a while to unravel. But what it is, is an invitation. Hey, deal with it. I've already kind of talked about that, but I just want to reiterate that. Deal with your emotions. Realize that they're there to bring you closer to God. They're there to help you, not to hurt you. But sometimes it's very painful to deal with these things, and we've got to. Ignatius of Loyola categorized all of the emotions in two. He said there are desolations and there are consolations. The desolating emotions are those things that we experience as we're moving further away from God. And so when we feel desolate, isolated, we do not feel peace. Something is wrong. We know. We're, we're full of doubt. We're full of fear. We're full of anger. Loyola says, Ignatius says, those are desolations. They are indicators that you are experiencing or you yourself are actually moving further away from God. And what those are a signal to do is turn around and face God and come back to him. When we experience positive emotions, if you will, or the consolations, faith, hope, love, joy, you know what those are? Those are indications that you are walking in and towards the light of God. And you know what they do? They beckon you, keep coming. Now there are also, he says, false consolations. That is, there are things that actually give us a little bit of momentary pleasure, and they seem good, but actually we're moving away from God. And the way you can tell a false consolation from a real one is this. Is this bringing me true peace? Or just kind of a little sugar high? And I would say many of the sinful things that we feel are consolations, they're good and they're satisfying our desires. At some point, and it usually doesn't take very long, we cease to sense the goodness in them. And that's when we become obsessed with them and we try to do it more and more and we realize that the closer, the faster we run to that thing, actually the quicker our peace seems to leave us. And it's an invitation, just like a desolation, to turn and come to the light of God. I'm wrapping it up here, folks. Ed Welch says, emotions portray what is happening in our heart. They speak on behalf of our hearts. They reveal what we want, what we love, and what we feel we can't live without. To make sense of emotions, we need to make sense of our desires. Emotions, many times, are tethered, almost always, to something we desire. And one of the first places I think we should go when we're having negative emotions, we're experiencing this kind of desolation. We're probably experiencing it because we're not fulfilled. We're not receiving what we desire. And what we need to do is trace that line back to what is it that I actually desire? What is it that I'm wanting that is not being fulfilled that's causing me to experience all of this negative emotion? And I think many times what we will find, folks, is that what we desire is to fulfill the flesh. We desire to get and to consume. And I think that one of the things, I, I know this is true for me personally, as I begin to experience negative emotions, and now I'm trying to be faithful to track them back and say, what is the desire, the lust that's underneath this? Many times I will just find that it's totally selfish. And what I need to do is do what Paul writes, put off the old self. That way does not lead to happiness in life. And put on 
the love of Christ. Begin to think about not taking, but giving and loving others. Become outward rather than inward in our orientation. And the warning is there, do not give the devil a foothold. I think that's a warning to say, if we don't deal with our emotions properly, just like anger, what we will do is actually invite the devil into our lives to destroy and to steal. He doesn't want to give you good feelings and joy. He wants to steal that from you and make it almost impossible for you to feel that. So we don't want to give him a place in our lives. Don't give the devil a place. But instead, bring your emotions, your desires, your thoughts, your dispositions, your whole self before the Lord and ask him to help you. Here's what I think. You know what's been coming before my eyes for the last couple of weeks as I'm studying this? Because I do want to finish in a practical way. How do we pursue this emotional wholeness, this integration of our lives by dealing with our emotions and our souls? What practices can we do? Now, now y'all are expecting me to say, read the Bible, pray, go to church, right? That's our answer for everything. And actually what I've been finding, everyone that has written on this for centuries and Jesus himself modeled it is silence and solitude. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus, it says he's right in the middle of a bustling ministry and it says he leaves and goes to a quiet, solitary place. Now there he prays, but he goes away where there is silence and where he can actually be alone and think and examine and bring himself before the Lord. And I would just say this, that we have to do that. Our lives are so filled every waking moment with screens and alarms and people and noise and things to do and busyness at work and busyness at home and all of our recreation that actually many times we blow it up to such a point all it is is more work. It's not rest at all. It's not refreshing, it's more work. Our lives are so full, mine too, that we don't take the time to really stop and let the Lord minister in our hearts when these alarm bells are going off. And I would just say, what am I inviting you to do out of this sermon? What is the take home? What is the application? Listen for the alarms. Take them seriously. Don't let the devil come into your life and rob you of the good that God wants to give you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the sad part is, it's almost like we could count the number of days of our Christian walk where we have walked in this kind of fruit of the Spirit. But instead we continue to live life just like before we were saved. And I know what needs to happen. Heaven needs to come down and glory needs to fill our souls. But that will not happen when we continually fill our souls with all of the trash and the busyness and the junk. We have got to take the time to come before the Lord. And sometimes, you know, I, what does that look like? Well, solitude means getting away from people. It just means sometimes getting away from people and noise. Sometimes Jesus went in solitude with a couple of buddies. And he invited them in. But it's getting away from all the noise. And then it's getting real. One of the interesting things about this, I skipped basically one verse between what David read and what I read. And it said, be truthful to one, with one another. Why would, why would the Apostle Paul have to say that to a bunch of Christians? You think, well, hey, my mind's weird. Here's the kind of things I'm thinking about. Like, what kind of lies were they telling at church? 
I thought probably the same lies y'all are telling out there. How big your fish was that you caught. How great your grandkids and kids are, right? We're bragging. No, 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 no. That's probably not it. It's probably more like this. Hey, John, how you doing today? Fine. Fine. I'm good. If our souls are going to be changed, one of the things we've got to quit saying is everything's fine. Church and Christianity has got to be a place where we can admit things stink. I am in pain. I am overwhelmed in my sorrows. I'm a wreck. Read the Psalms. <laughs> Most of them are that, or they start that way. Read the life of Job. Stop acting like everything's fine. Things are terrible sometimes. And we have to learn to grieve what is terrible. Soul work is painful work. But on the other side of it is consolation and joy and happiness. But we got to get through those walls, folks. I wonder how many hands would go up if I just asked today, how many of you in the last week have been hurting? I'm not going to ask you to do that. But if you're honest, I bet it's more than half. What's wrong? What alarm bells are going off? And, and initially, like my car has all these alarms. I don't even know what they're supposed to be telling me. Wake up, move over. I've got this one little light. I still don't know what in the heck it means. Something's wrong, though, when it goes off, but it seems to go away. Sometimes we need to read the manual and go, Lord, something is really screwed up in my mind right now. I can't stop crying. I, I can't quit being angry. I am angry. And we need to go to the manual and to the mechanic and say, Lord, would you show me what in the world this means and where this is coming from and what I need to do with it? Anger is one of the big ones. Like it could be something 30 years ago you have never dealt with. You have stuffed it. And it is leaking all over your soul. I don't have any pat answers for this stuff except this. Part of discipleship is admitting these things and getting honest and getting before the Lord. I want to invite you on that journey with me today. Would you bow your head and just close? You know, there's nothing magical about closing your eyes except for this. Shut out whatever's going on around you. Shut out the movement around you. We're just going to take a few moments in that blackness and in that space that now is before your mind. If you have an alarm that has been going off, would you just tell it to the Lord? Tell Him what you sense, what your soul is sensing. And if you would indulge me for just a moment, I want you to open up your hands. Just lay, lay them with your palms open. And I want you to picture, if that's even possible, maybe it's just a word, that, that negativity or that hurt 
that you feel and just put it in your hands. And just offer it to him. Lord, here it is. And we don't know what to do with it exactly. Or maybe we do. Maybe it's a bitterness from years ago. Maybe it's a hurt that someone inflicted on us. It's anger. It's it's pain. Here it is, Lord. Would you take it from us? Would you now help us to know how to not sin in the midst of this? Lord, here it is, and and I don't even know what to do with this thing. Would you show me what's at the other end of it? Would you show show me the lies that have produced this? Show me the wrong desires of the heart, the wrong motives. Show me the broken relationship. Show me the painful thing I said. Show me what I need to see. And replace it. Lord, we give you this despairing thing, this desolation. We give you ashes and ask you to return to us beauty, healing, hope, love where there has been hatred, forgiveness where there has been bitterness. Lord, fill our hands with something that brings life. With hands opened up to you, Lord, today. What we want to do is worship from the heart with all of our minds, a renewed mind, and with our souls. We want to love you with all of our souls and begin to understand in a deeper way what that means and what it looks like and how it profoundly transforms a life and energizes your people. So, Lord, today, we worship you in spirit, truth, and soul. Fill up your people, Lord, with good. Help us to leave this place changed. And then give us the strength and the wisdom to day by day, hour by hour, and sometimes in a season, to just get away and to practice putting off the old and taking on the new and experiencing the kingdom which which is righteousness and purity and truth and hope and love. Lord, help us in all of these things today as we give ourselves fully, completely, and wholly to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.